0: Welcome to One Heart, One Mind, a podcast of the Nampa, Idaho South Stake to inspire
1: and give hope in our efforts to build Zion. And now your host, Kim Keller. Welcome once again to the One Heart, One Mind Nampa podcast. We are super excited to hear some stories today, a really great particular story from a couple um, who will teach us about how to foster hope through um, some adversities in life. I'm so lucky to be here today with DJ and Ashley Holiday. Welcome to our podcast.
2: Thank you. Thanks.
1: We're nice glad to have you. Oh, you betcha. These two met while they were attending BYU-Idaho, and they got married in 2010. Now, DJ, you graduated with a degree in communications, and Ashley with a degree in horticulture. How are those? Did you like that?
0: Yeah. I uh, started out as a vocal performance major. And went on my mission and realized I was, when I came back, I realized I was okay singing in the shower, didn't need to get a whole degree out of it, and uh, then went to uh, communication.
2: Yeah, I uh, started by studying health science and realized quickly that those type of classes weren't for me and did some self-reflection and realized that I was so weird and I didn't mind pulling weeds as a kid. So... I looked into horticulture and felt like I was at home.
1: That is cool. Okay, so after college, you both uh, moved to Nampa, and DJ began working for bodybuilding.com, which uh, which would be part of your communications degree, right? That's how you were able to use life?
0: Yeah, it's not because I was a bodybuilder, that's for sure. Um, no, so I had started doing some web development kind of on the side, and so my degree was in advertising and it it was kind of a natural transition i had a i got in there actually as a photographer so maybe it wasn't that much of a natural transition i got a photography position but they gave me that position because i had a rudimentary knowledge of photography and some web development skills so it was it was just kind of a foot in the door and they knew that they
1: would use me somewhere else later on and website building is pretty much your main gig right now. Is that right? Yep. Web development, design, and and you know online marketing. Okay. And then, Ashley, for you, horticulture blossomed into being a florist, if I might say. Yes, <laughs> it
2: did. Um, yeah. Right now, I have a floral business out of my home, though it's very much back burner because of my family.
1: Well, that's what brings us here today. We want a little background about who you guys are and what you do, but in 2015, you both decided to become foster parents, which I know there's always, from what I hear, a great need for foster parents, good foster parents in the state. Is that correct?
2: Yes.
0: A huge <laughs> need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, they don't make it too easy, though. It, it the, It's not very hospitable to, to foster parenting or to the parents themselves, so that's probably part of why there's such a need.
1: So there's quite it's quite a labor of love mm-hmm. uh, on the part of the foster parents. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm sure now you've had, from what I understand, at least eight kids in your home. Is that right?
0: Yeah. I think.
2: Yeah. Uh, we had a little boy for a few months and we had to let him go. He went to live with his grandparents and has an amazing life, traveled to amazing places that I haven't even been to, and it's been great. And um, then we had. It was hard.
1: Yeah. It was really, I mean, he was our little buddy. Hard because you had to eventually give him back. Yeah.
0: We you loved get, him. You get attached to kids. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, and then we had um, a sibling set of three, and we didn't have them for very long. They ended up living um, with an aunt, which was a great situation for them. And then um, we got a call uh, about our boys in 2016. And then, in the middle of that, we had a short placement of a little baby from the hospital. It was a
0: we knew it was going to be temporary.
2: Yeah, it was very so much was, a transition.
0: It was. It was a little bit easier, but she was a dang cute little bean. Uh, uh,
1: yeah. uh.
2: And then in 2018, um, we got the little sister of of our boys.
1: So you had two boys in foster care that you were taking care of, plus. Later on, a, a new baby was born? Is that how that happened? Or was she already?
2: She was born, early, kind of a weird timeline, but yeah. she was born in 2017, but we got her in 2018.
1: Okay, so at this point now, you have three children that you're taking care of in foster care. Yes. And uh, But the the real story here is... What you went through to, from a, 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 what I understand, is you now have adopted those three children. They're yours.
2: Thankfully, mm-hmm. finally. Yeah.
1: So and they've been sealed to you in the temple, and I, I had the privilege of visiting with DJ just before that, and and heard the story, and it was quite an emotional roller coaster for the two of you, and so I'd like to talk a little bit about that today, just because we feel that. You've gone through something that many people have not experienced. But uh, how did you get the hope that, that comes through that? That's the essence of our podcast time. So I'll stop talking. So I ask some more questions. Tell us a little bit more about the story. <clears throat> the three of them were in your home, and then what happens? You just decide let's adopt them, or is it not that easy?
0: Well, I mean, we probably need to go back a little bit farther. So, I mean. Ashley can talk a little bit more about it, but she initially brought up, you know, being foster parents. And then uh, you go to the foster meeting or whatever it's called.
2: It's like an initial intro to foster care meeting.
0: And they straight up tell you, if you're trying to do this because you're adopting kids, then just don't. You know, most placements do not end in adoption. They end with... You know kids going back to family um
2: their their ultimate goal is is what's called reunification and where kids end up back with their biological mother or biological father
0: or a family member you know mm-hmm. i mean in our case if there would have been a family member who came forward and said you know we want to take these kids um they would have had precedent, you know precedence to do that they would yeah. have it, it, the priority would have been to to give them back to somebody who's their kin.
1: Which, which of course, I think makes sense. Um, it's just if you're the one spending so much time raising and right. bonding to them, then ideally, what kind of feelings does that bring up?
0: Ideally, that would happen early on in the process so that,
1: you know, bonds aren't
0: made so strongly. But um, anyway, we we went through that program. We had to decide whether we were okay with that, and we decided just – to be foster parents, you know, first and foremost. And, uh, and
2: then it also kind of bought us some time as we were dealing with infertility, like, what are we doing with our lives right now? And this just kind of helped fill that hole of, and giving us purpose.
0: Yeah. We'd already gotten a dog. So <laughs> <laughs> this was the next step. No, but really, I mean, I, I remember one conversation we had when we were able to have kids and I just said, you know, I need to take care of something. Like we, we, as people have a biological need to to care for things. Mm-hmm. And that's when we got a dog <laughs> yeah. and she definitely helped. But,
1: you know,
2: there's a natural progression there.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, to, and then?
2: So then we ended up um, being licensed foster parents in 2015. And then, you know, we got our first placement. It was several months after. So being a foster parent, you can kind of set criteria of what you're, comfortable with um, and we just thought like two and under is kind of what we felt comfortable with and so it took a little while apparently there's lots of people that are eager for that sort of age group rather than older kids and so um, took a couple months but then we got a little guy in our home he went back and then a couple months later we got the sibling set um, and, it, that and they w- were
0: outside they they were outside of our, you know, quote unquote parameters. parameters that we were comfortable with. The, the, the girl, the oldest was five and she was already very adept at being a little mommy to her little brothers. And it's kind of hard being second guessed all the time by a five year old because <laughs> undermined by a five year old because she's had to be the mom yeah. since she's probably three years old. You know, and that's just, it's, it's tough to see. You know, because she, you know, we would do something and she, they don't like that. You have to do it this way. And you're thinking you're only five, but then you have to realize, okay, but you have more experience raising these kids than we do <laughs> at five years old. So.
2: Um, so I think it was the day or day after that they went to go, that that sibling set went to go live with their aunt. I got a call from a caseworker. So. Traditionally in the foster care system, you've got like 10 minutes to decide whether you're going to wow. take a placement or not. Um, this was a, a little bit unusual because um, this sibling set of boys um, lived with another foster family that was having some sort of family emergency. And so they just needed to move them to a different family. So we had like an hour to decide. So I called DJ at work. And, um, we said a prayer over the phone, whether this was a good choice. Um, I was really hesitant because having a sibling set of three was really hard. Having
0: a little bit of shell shock after that. And not that it was a, a, you know, I mean, obviously it's not the kid's fault. It was a difficult situation because of the reason I mentioned, but also, um, you know, just they were, they were older, you know, they had they had opinions about things and they had
2: And we had limited experience of being parents. But, and the, yeah.
0: the youngest had severe separation anxiety. So one of us always had to sleep in that room until they until he was very much out for the night. You know, and so it was it was it was stressful, it was difficult. So we were a little bit wary.
2: Yeah. And um so I vividly remember um while we were saying a prayer I said it cuz he was sitting at his desk had his cubicle desk and um while it
0: it, a, yeah bodybuilding.com mm-hmm,
2: um while I was saying the prayer I had this um vivid image in my mind of Doug and I at the temple holding two little kids hands mm-hmm. I could not see like if they were boys or girls and I could not see their color of their hair <laughs> which
0: which would make will make sense later
2: yeah <laughs> so um, we said yes I called the caseworker back said yes and um, we got the kids a couple days later and um,
0: which is also unusual normally you get 10 minutes to decide and then rush to the hospital 20, 20 minutes to prepare you're usually calling family members saying hey what do you got?" you know, to bring to the house for these kids?
2: So um, we got a little boy who was three months old, and we got uh, his older brother who was 18 months old.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: And um, so uh, the process started, and the process being um, visitations with bio parents, and those incrementally increase. So at first they start out supervised at the department for like two hours then it goes to four hours and then then it goes unsupervised for eight hours um and then eventually it's overnight but this process is supposed to happen within a relatively short amount of time i would say like three months or something yeah like their that. goal
0: is to identify the issue that the, that the biological parents are having find services to you know to fix that issue, or at least to, yeah, to educate them or whatever, and then, then you know, reunification happens, and it's and it's supposed to happen obviously for the benefit of everybody, mm-hmm. including foster parents. It's supposed <clears throat> to happen in a relatively short period of time.
2: Unfortunately, that was not our case. Um, these, the progression of visits, happened over a span of two years. Oh, Wow. So um, so you're
1: raising kids you've got a three month old Mm -hmm. that you're now raising to be two yeah and so you're going through every phase of this baby's life yeah it's really easy to say we're gonna do this just to be foster parents
0: and not to adopt you know you try to be altruistic that way um but then two years later they're your kids right right you've changed the diapers and you've
1: and any visitation that the Biological parent is having feels they're just feels to you like they're just—it's like a betrayal. <laughs> it feels, and it's—it's it's just trauma.
0: Yeah, it's just added trauma to to the kids.
2: And it was it, um it was really hard when at, the longer this goes on and yeah. eventually visits have are like forty eight hours, so you don't see them for a couple of days. Um, not to get into some of the rough stuff, but there were times where um one of the boys knew where we were headed based off of the turns that we were making and he would just scream no 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 and like as a as a parent
1: you,
2: you're doing something that you know isn't good for your kid right
0: but you have to it's the law <laughs> if we didn't show up the fbi comes looking for us literally yeah yeah
2: so, um, we ended up going, it, court happens roughly every three months, and um, the judge, we've learned a little bit about the legal system through this process, and we've come to learn that the judge had his hands tied. Um, the case had been strung on for so long that he had to hand over the kids back to the birth mom.
1: Um, and how how old are they now when this happens? <clears throat> um, I mean,
2: two.
1: Yeah,
2: two and three and a half. Okay. Um, and I had spent so much time in emails dedicating like, I took pictures of before and after visit weights. I took pictures of rashes that they'd come back with. I would take. I mean, there were obvious concerns going on
0: because
1: they weren't going into a healthy environment
0: right no well and, and I mean how much weight can you healthily lose in two days
2: as a child as a
0: child you know they're coming back dehydrated I mean we'd give them water bottles and they'd have it done before we're even out of the parking lot mm-hmm. you know and their feet were dirty there we had times where diapers were obviously reused
2: Poop, poopy diapers
0: uh, yeah they just you know if it wasn't if it wasn't too you know
2: be, we could tell oh, because... Yeah,
0: we, we don't need to there go were, too far yeah. in that. But they would just... If they could, they'd just dump out, you know, yeah, yeah, that and then put it back on the kid, you know.
1: And, and that's my kid. Right. You know. You've invested your all these years into raising this child. Yeah.
2: So um, the judge had his hands tied um, and had to give the kids back. We had like two days notice, I think. And so... We did as many fun things as we could. Um, we, I vividly remember my parents had given us a trampoline for Christmas. And, um, obviously you don't set up an outside trampoline in December in Idaho. So, but in this February day, it was like 70 degrees. Maybe it was 60 and it, but it felt so good, you know, being in the middle of winter and it was sunny and. The whole holiday family came over and we set up this trampoline just to try to have some really good memories.
1: Did now did you understand that these children were going away forever at this point? Or was this one of the forty eight hour
2: It no, it was uh let's try it out for thirty days.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: And so But
0: the goal there being that it's it's permanent reunification. They wanted to close the case. Right. So right. That was that was the goal. Yeah. And I mean you know, you you have to prepare yourself that you're not going to see him again. Yeah, just couldn't. It was yeah. too hard.
2: So um, so we dropped him off, and um, thirty days went by. Didn't hear anything from the caseworker. There's also this other person that I think it's important to note is a guardian ad litem. Those are volunteers who advocate <clears throat> for kids in foster care, and um, they are people who have that's the only person in the courtroom who's in the corner for the kid. Um,
0: yeah. So there are three parties. There's the state and usually the state, their goal being reunification. Sure. Um, you know, so you have the state and their goal is reunification until it's not, but usually that's far into the case. And then you have the parents and their attorneys or attorney, depending in this case, there were two because they were separated. Um, So there's the parents and their attorneys, and of course, they have an interest in reunification, um, or otherwise they would just surrender their rights. Um, And then you have the guardian ad litem, and that person has a lawyer as well. So the guardian ad litem and their attorney, um, which is wholly a volunteer position. I mean, there are some paid guardians ad litem, but most of the guardians ad litem everywhere are volunteer. Wow. And so and and basically they rely on donations i think even to pay the attorneys that that they hire. So
2: it's a nonprofit.
0: You have the kids are already at a disadvantage because they out of out of all three parties if reunification is not you know the in the best interest of the child whether the state wants to admit it or not. The child still only has that one person, and we were there, but we don't have any representation.
1: We—that's and and why I say, uh,
0: yeah, oh, we, we give a this. we would give a report on the previous three months, and that was as much as we could do.
2: So, um, I'd never heard anything from the caseworker. Hounded her and said, and she said, everything's fine. But stop worrying about this. And it wasn't. Um, And so that was a very dark time in our lives. Um, People are really good at saying I'm sorry for like 30 to 60 days. Um, After that, it's time to... Pull up your big yeah. girl panties, I suppose, <laughs> and move this on with is life. Was a
0: religious podcast, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, it's really hard. It's I mean nobody knows what to say, right? It's it's not as if your kids died, right?
2: We actually kind of wish they would have.
0: It would have been some closure at least, because yeah. we're thirty minutes away, and. We can't hold
1: them. We can't. Or care for them.
2: Or we would open our fridges and our pantries and they would be full of food.
1: I feel guilty. Mm
2: -hmm. Having food.
1: Because you know they're not.
0: You know that they're being abused and neglected and living in literal squalor.
1: Yeah.
0: Moving from hotel to hotel. Because they've been kicked out of whatever living situation they were in you know, now their, their biological mother is shacked up with somebody
1: else and you don't know that person. So incredibly dark time.
2: Yeah. Um, we had our own way of coping with it. And I know that we were a drain on friends and family. Um, just, we didn't know what to do. Um,
0: we ate, we ate a lot of food and <laughs> put on a lot of weight. Well, luckily you had bodybuilding.com
1: <laughs> yeah. to go to at any time yeah. to help you overcome that uh, added weight.
2: But um, eventually um, we got a call in August six months later uh-huh. um, at 10 p.m. at night. And so we'd, previous to this, we had decided to um, close our foster care license. Sure. It's too hard. Yeah. Just
1: had you felt that? That's so. Six months later, had you felt any any relief of the burden that you had felt? I mean, was was thing were things starting to dissipate and feel like maybe you could you could continue on?
2: I think for me, I was starting to get there, but Doug definitely wasn't
1: getting worse for you.
0: It was worse every day.
1: Mm.
2: But so we got a call. Um, to it was kind of a confusing call. They told us that um, our boys were at the hospital, but well,
0: they didn't t- no. They didn't tell us that. The lady calls me and says, "We just want to know if you would be willing to take a foster placement." And I'm sitting there, and you know, they didn't say you have previous, you know, experience with these kids or anything. And I just looked at Ashley and I'm like, "They want, to, they want us to, you know, Do we've already told can. them, and yeah. they're asking us again." You know, I'm, I'm annoyed at this point. Right. And uh, and then it just occurs to me, like, wait ask who it is because we had already basically told him probably not yeah you know we were just it was just a regular night we're just sitting there watching tv you know and this lady calls and i'm like you gotta be kidding me you want us to do this after all of the you know stuff that you've just put us through and uh then before i hung up on her basically i was like wait who is it and she says well, you've had experience with these boys before or with this, with these kids before. And I don't know why she didn't lead with that.
1: Sure. You know, yeah. like,
0: Hey, guess what? Yeah. These boys are back in foster care. And would you, you know, they have experience with you two years, you know, you probably still have their bedroom together because you've been too sad to even go into the place, you know, which was the case. You know, we still had art that they'd done on the fridge for crying out loud, and uh, it, yeah, she should have let that. Uh, but yeah, of course, we would we jumped at the opportunity. And then she was like, "Well, I see here that your that your license has been put on hold, and I'm gonna have to get some." I would no. like, said, "No, we'll be there. Just what call hospital? Me, just tell me where I need to go." Said so we will renew any license that we need to do or do whatever it takes or go through pride training again, which is the foster care training. I I was willing to do literally anything yeah. to, you know, to have them back in our home.
2: So we got all cleared and went to the hospital. We were there by probably 1030 and they came with a little sister. Oh, no. Oh. Um... It,
0: um, and
1: how old was little sister? She
2: was 15 months old.
1: 15
2: months. Old. Um, not to get into too many details, but the nurse um,
0: he had to prepare us before we went in.
2: Yeah, he t- he said, um, "Hang on a second. What you see is going to be really, really hard." And I'm just like, "Oh, it's it's fine. Just let us get in there." Um, but it was way worse than we ever could have imagined. Things uh, that happen to them um, are not appropriate to talk about.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh.
2: So. Um, and they
1: were just shells
0: of themselves, so skinny and just sunken eyes and fragile. And. I mean, our worst fears. Our oldest is were is a big dude. He's he's about as big as most nine year olds at six. Mm-hmm. He's big, and he always has been big. And even he was just it was hard hard to look at
2: Um. so for the I don't know the next year we went through the whole thing <laughs> again um, we did have some visitations again for a while and
0: uh, then finally we got a criminal prosecutor who was like wait no abusers do not get access to their kids and so she put a stop to it mm-hmm. went to court and she got a, a no con well it's a i don't know they call it something different when it's on the criminal side it's something and then on the family court side one of them's a no contact order and then i don't know what the other one's called but essentially she got a no contact order but in criminal law and sorry for anybody who knows the criminal justice system I'm totally <laughs> probably messing that up but um, but yeah no they and then they were able to even get one on the family court side as well so we had both things because and that was a, a priority because if if one gets overturned then the other one is in place right
2: as the backup
0: as the backup
2: as we have experienced many times in court, Lots of things get overturned.
0: Yeah, and a lot of times judges will just say, "Well, I, I'm going to defer to the family court judge in this matter." You know, and we're going to put in this no contact order. But if if the family court, you know, wants to do reunification or whatever, then obviously theirs takes precedence, and ours will is null and void. And in this case, we actually went through that, and then the the criminal prosecutor for the state for the state's attorney, um, she actually made it so that it couldn't get overturned. So that was like,
2: finally a win
0: first. Yeah. First step. Mm.
1: This just all feels so, so unfortunate, unfortunately messy. And, and I'm sure everybody really wishes that the best could happen, but it's just a messy. And sometimes I wonder, <laughs> and I,
0: you know, and that's not to be malicious or anything, but, um, and sometimes I actually do wonder if the state's policy of reunification first is not a kind of at all costs situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me that if they would just change some, uh, you know, change it from our first priority is reunification to our first priority is taking care of kids mm-hmm. no matter what. Right. And if that means reunification, then great. And reunification in both of our first foster situations was the way to go, yeah. you know, and it just wasn't in this case. And so to have to go to, through two years because that's the default policy was really yeah. was detrimental to them.
2: We also had to go through a termination of parental rights hearing. Um, Doug and I both testified in that. That was a challenge. Um, I, I think it was at that hearing. I think it was that one where um, I'm up on the stand. And, you know, Doug is not allowed to be in there because he also will have to testify. Um, but they started questioning, like, our motives, um, like, our infertility struggle. Um, and really personal things that has nothing to do with, like, I... I didn't abuse the kids but i felt like i was on trial with it mm. um just some just kind of weird terrible yeah. situations there were there
0: were a lot of behaviors that had that were new to the second time we had them because of that six month period and and whenever we'd bring that up they'd be like well you're not a psychologist how do you know I'm like well it wasn't happening before and now it is and mm.
2: but um so we finally got termination of parental rights in, I think, beginning of 2020. I think, thankfully, right before COVID hit. And then um, they, of course, appealed it. So we had to wait for that process that goes through the Idaho S- State Supreme Court. Um, that takes about six months. Um, and then finally heard back on that. And in the meantime, they've they've lumped. And,
0: I mean, you have to remember, like, as long as... As long as that's during this whole time, if a family member would have showed up out of the blue,
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: they would have gone with that <coughs> family member. So it's not like, oh, well, termination of parental rights happened. You're good to go. They hadn't been adopted yet. We're still living every day thinking, what if they give them to some, you know, random fan- family member who just happens to be related? Right. You know. And so every, every single day, it was just living with the notion that your kids might be sent to somebody else again. And so it almost got more like there, it was almost more anxiety inducing as we got closer and closer. Cause like, have we gone through all of this just to have it go away? You know, yeah.
2: But um, the appeal got over to, or didn't get over it.
0: Yeah, they 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 upheld the appeal or they upheld the the original ruling. So, mm.
2: um, oh, so in the meantime, they had lumped um our little girl's case along with the boys. So that
0: was the second big win. Yeah, because mm-hmm. we would have been dealing with a, a completely separate case, mm. like doing the termination
2: kids. trial two sure. times, doing. Everything
0: two everything times. Two t- she would have had she would have had rights to visits and yeah. everything.
1: So how long after this final court uh, decision were you able to then adopt them?
2: Um. In January of this year, so it was from the time we met them to final adoption was four and a half years. Long for years.
1: Very long board. Very long. Yeah. Now tell me what's special about these kids. You hinted earlier in the podcast that there's you didn't see um, boy or girl or hair color, and that's important somehow.
2: <laughs> yeah. Our, our yeah. oldest has yeah. fire engine red hair, yeah. and but we've got all shades of red hair. Yeah. with our kids.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. So lots of sunscreen. Lots of sunscreen. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and lots of feisty. <laughs> lots of feisty sunscreen. Nice. Well, so, I mean, listening and feeling what you're feeling is just it's painful to hear. How do we... How do you overlay the gospel, your experience with the gospel, and uh, and uh, on, on this experience? Well, <laughs> our our fundamental
0: view of God had to change. I mean, we, you, you grow up and I, I realize this is not everybody's experience, but you grow up and, and you're taught that God is active in every part of your life and has control over every part of your life. And I got really angry because if he has control over every part of our lives and it's not even what happened to me
1: mm-hmm.
0: why would he send children to be abused when they had a good home you know when, when they were loved every day and, and cared for
2: if, you know kind-hearted people would say oh the boys had to go back so you could get the little girl And i just like i couldn't believe that mm-hmm. i if he
0: if he has the ability to get her then he could have gotten her without the boys having to suffer for it. You know, it, it just, it just didn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense. And well, so, it
1: makes the concept of agency very real. Doesn't right. It? And, yeah.
0: Well, and I, I guess I always, you know, you always know about agency, but it always kind of has not at least for me growing up, had an underpinning of, but in the, in that, better situation God will intervene you mm-hmm. know and or make proceed. it right you know and so um I we had to come to the realization that God doesn't intercede always yeah Or probably much less than than we would ever like to believe mm-hmm. um you know and I it it helped I mean I, you know I was you get angry at God when you have a what i would probably consider a, a more juvenile understanding and i feel like our view of god has has had to mature
1: yeah
0: you know i, I was talking to some friends one time and, and i've got a really good support group, guys, friends that we actually go on a trip every year. And, and, uh, you know, we get into deep philosophical talks and some of them have their faith has changed entirely. And some of them have, you know, we all started out in the LDS faith and some have, have ventured out of that. And, um, and, you know, we had this conversation and it came up like in, in the context of our of our situation with the kids leaving and I had a a friend who said, I just don't understand how I I can't believe in a God that would do that. And I, it kind of occurred to me, I don't believe in a God that you're going to get to heaven or whatever. And he's going to sit down and say, aren't you glad I did that to you? Mm -hmm. Aren't you, aren't you glad about the things you learned because I put you through that really terrible situation? I believe that we're going to get there. And he'll put his arms around us and say, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. It hurt me so bad to watch it happen.
2: and I think that's much of what we deal with as parents too. like mm-hmm. we can't control everything that happens to our kids. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and our kids have some unique things they're dealing with because of
1: yeah. trauma and well, it's it's I remember it it, it harkens back to. A, a, quite a unique doctrine of our church when you read in the Pearl of Great Price how how, <clears throat> how God sees the, his children and weeps. And uh, that's a unique perspective that we have that you've just shared right there uh, through our understanding of God in, in the Church of Jesus Christ of latter Day Saints is that he does have emotion and does feel for us based on that scripture in the Pearl of Great Price. Right.
0: And I think it's, it's interesting because those are things that we learn, but, but then there's, there's always this other per, pervasive thought that like, well, if you're just, if it's right, it's going to happen because God's in control and I'm, you know, we, we teach one thing and then we teach, an, it's almost like we teach one thing doctrinally and sometimes something else is understood culturally. And so I had this cultural belief that I had to overcome, so that I could get back to a place where I even wanted to, you know,
1: talk to him. Yeah. You had to learn experientially, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, which is really the path that we're all on, right? I mean, we talk about this year in this in our stake, the the need for our members to find out from Heavenly Father what their personal ministry is, and. Um you know, I'm I'm sitting here looking at pictures of Christ and his ministry and the pain that he went through and the suffering that he experienced. But but he asks each of us to say, What is your ministry? What gifts have I given you? And ha- do you know what they are? And are you using them to bless the lives of others? What advice would you give to members of our stake who may be searching for their personal ministry?
2: Um, well, in regards to foster care, um, I've had people ask me, you know, should I become a foster parent? And I, without hesitation, tell them only if you really feel called to it, Mm -hmm. because that's what you'll go back to, to get you through the really, really, really rough days feeling like this is what you need to be doing. Um.
0: I don't know. For me, I don't know if I felt a particular calling to be a foster parent. I think we just we we wanted to fulfill at least a portion of that purpose that we had as as a couple to to care for for other humans, you know. And this seemed like a really good way to do that.
2: Okay. Overall, it was a really eye-opening experience. A lot of times we think that we need to donate to causes that are overseas or, um, you know, not really tangible. But there are just so many ways to serve people in our in Nampa.
1: I love right that here. observation. It is so true. We, yeah. we think we have to go someplace to help somebody. No. But no. there's a lot of suffering and pain and need right here within the borders of our own town. Yeah. 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 Well, what uh, what lessons of hope do you have to share with us? I mean, I'm sure that from what I've heard tonight, there are some super dark moments. Um, but what, what have you gained from it?
2: I've, personally for me, I've gained um, like a desire to find people who are dealing with kids similar to mine. Um, kids with sensory needs or... Um, speech issues or trauma issues um because i know that i felt really alone um our kids don't really understand social cues um have lots getting of better. triggers
0: they're getting
2: better yeah they're getting better but um we're a lot for a lot of people and so it's um really refreshing when you find that one friend that has similar kids and you're okay if you leave this play date with bloody noses, Mm -hmm. you know, because we're like the same kind of people here. Um, and so I know that like I've recently found a friend who can, we feel like we get each other and our kids kind of get each other. Um, and that I feel, I don't know, just really good when, I feel seen and I know that other people in similar or somewhat different situations want to feel that way as well.
0: So personally, this is kind of a hard question for me because when the kids came back, I was at the lowest point, you know, it wasn't getting better for me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it just it just kept getting worse and worse. So, So I almost feel like, I don't know. I, you know, people, people would tell us all the time, well, they're going to come back or or whatever. And and I just, I had such a hard time believing that. And it was, and like I said, it just kept getting worse and worse. So I don't feel like I was the best at portraying this idea that things, that there was hope or that there was light at the end of the tunnel. And so so I don't I don't know I, I don't know if I have a good answer to that because the end of my suffering was when the thing that I wanted happened, um, so I don't know if I'm the best example of being hopeful through adversity. I, yeah, I don't know. I think if anything, I've I've learned to be more empathetic because of that. Yeah. Because it could have just as easily not had, had had happened. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I mean, she could have absconded with the kids to a different state.
2: I mean, Oregon's just so close.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if, (laughs) yeah, we can, if there were two brain cells to rub together in, you know, she could have just up and left and, and we would have never seen the kids again. Mm -hmm. But, um, I'm grateful that it didn't happen that way. And, uh, But I I think the the thing that I've learned the most is that sometimes what people need the most is just for you to come sit on their couch and not even say anything.
1: So ministering doesn't have to be hard and not to be complicated.
0: No. No, just... I mean, the thing that I wanted most was just for people... be there Mm -hmm. and sometimes that's not what i wanted at all but that's what i needed and so and then i think i've also learned that we shouldn't put a timetable on other people's grief you know it was really hard to hear that sometimes people just we're kind of done with you being in that situation and you know they thought okay it's time for you to eat. like at some point you have to get over it i just didn't see it happening mm. so i don't know i th- you know i think i'm still learning the whole hope and adversity thing maybe but <laughs> but i did learn mm-hmm. at least some things about grief and how it works and
1: well you are definitely learning some of the lessons of life uh, and but see i we visited back in january and here's the thing that shows me the hope is that you're both here you're both going you've gone through a, a terrible ordeal and you are raising children whom you love and who you're giving so much of heart and soul to and you're raising them in the gospel and you took them to the temple. Tell me about that experience in the temple.
2: That was really cool. Um, The temple, because of COVID, it was just for us for the day.
0: (laughs) Um, Which we thought was going to be great because our kids are rambunctious. But would you believe that they were like,
2: the best they've ever been yeah. <laughs> in the temple.
0: It was basically a miracle. <laughs> it was. <laughs> a little ray of hope, <ramble> right? There. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So they are capable of it. That's good to know. <laughs> Although they may have set a difficult precedent for themselves. So <laughs> now we're always going to be looking back. If they would have been a little more rambunctious, maybe we would be so hard on them now. Yeah. Who knows?
2: Um, but, you know, it was just so cool seeing having my sister-in-law and brother-in-law bring them down the hall to us. Um, into the ceiling room and just their eyes light up and um, having our close friends and family there with us. Um, yeah, and I'm so grateful that we had a photographer for that day because it just, for pictures outside afterwards, um, it's just, we worked so hard for that day. And i um, really grateful to have it come to fruition. And we got one of the pictures that I just feel like, um, kind of like is an embodiment of that vision that I had mm-hmm. early on.
1: Wow. Well, your story is, is amazing. It's difficult to hear, but it's important. I think for us to understand what people feel, what people experience, um, your experience i have a feeling is going to be a blessing for many people in years to come not just your children
2: well i've always felt um, you know since we kind of closed that chapter of our lives i've always felt the need to um, be open about it um, especially because it was very um uh, it was a trial that was that people could see you know, it's not a behind closed doors trial. Yeah. It was suddenly we show up to church one Sunday and we don't have kids anymore. And the whole ward is wondering mm-hmm. what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's definitely taught us to not be so private, which I think is um, an actual blessing. um, Because, you know, that's how you make friends that are also dealing with things. But then they find comfort or like you kind of, you know, I'm heavily involved in, the kids therapies and so what therapy do you use to deal with this and what about this and um so it just being more open about it and i'm always a an open book
1: well thank you for your openness today thanks for coming and sharing the story thank you sure thing and we would do Do it it again again. (laughs) somehow you know
0: that's the crazy (laughs) thing we would do it again
1: I don't think that's so crazy. I think that you. I'm sure it's not. No, no, you have. I guess what I'm meaning to say is, you have just, you have just expressed how I feel the Savior feels about us. You have expressed your willingness to suffer and go through pain, for the blessing of somebody else's life. To me, that's that's an amazing, amazing comment. And we will. uh, We'll call this a, another wrap of a, another podcast, and uh, thank you again for all that you've done. As kids.
2: Thanks for listening to One Heart, One Mind Nampa. Credit is given to Kim Keller, who oversees the podcast, both Lindy Bauer and Kim Keller, who are our hosts, Casey Maddox, the project director and announcer, Rachel Bauer, who is our site director. Likewise, thanks also to Kristen. Ken our project manager; John Freeman, our communications coordinator; Dave Fitz in the podcast recorder; Don Ricker, our digital platform manager; Rich Petrie and DJ Holiday for final edits; and Jesus Gomez for IT oversight.
0: Thank you for listening to One Heart, One Mind.
1: We hope that you have felt inspiration and hope in moving towards Zion. As always, thank you, and may the Lord bless you.